welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. Today, I'm talking to critically acclaimed record producer extraordinaire, Will Yip. You may know him from producing albums from such bands as Title Fight, Tiger's Jaw, The Menzingers, Turnover, A Lot of Speed, Circus Survive, just <laughs> tons of records uh, that all sound incredible and uh, definitely has his touch on all of them. Uh, this conversation was a blast because we learned Will's entire lead up to where he is now and uh, the importance of grinding and hustling and not giving up until your foot is in the door. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. This is the first ever podcast. Will, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's, a, it's truly an honor to talk to talk to a good friend in uh, for music. You know. Oh, that's that's awesome. It's funny. Like uh, I was, I was just, I was just talking about how uh, you and I have only worked together the one time for that really funny collaborative split with self-defense family which is now already like kind of like four years ago which is insane how time flies what an insane night that was <laughs> that was truly insane you know i had no idea what to expect i don't think too out like i don't think too many people know, uh, know that i did that that I, that I did that that split for you guys you know so and uh, i don't think people know uh the story or like the setup that was crazy it was insane it really was it was it was definitely it was definitely something that we, I think everyone was just shrugging and being like, let's just try to make this work to the best of our ability. But you crushed it. Like it sounds, considering what you had to deal with, it sounds incredible. I, I think we all crushed it. I don't think, I don't think, I think we have to give a little background, but, but Jeremy hits me up, you hit me up and freaking you, you, you say you and self-defense, you know, Touche and self-defense are, are touring, come to Philly and we're going to want to do this collab split thing and for a second i'm like oh we're gonna do like one song and a song and you're like no we're just gonna play all together in a room i'm like okay like you mean like set up amps and other places no let's just throw it all in 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 a shit and rock it and i was like yo fuck it let's do it and uh, and we rocked it man and it was awesome it was crazy it was two drummers a thousand guitar players you know it was it was something yeah i think it was genuinely it was it was four or five guitars, two drum sets. Uh, I think we only had one thing, a bass going, but for a minute there, we almost were going to have yeah. two when we were writing the songs, which yeah. would have just been obnoxious. <laughs> uh, here's something that I don't know that you know, if you know, but um, so we recorded all the music and then I think Pat and I came back maybe yeah. like a month later or, or a couple of weeks later to do the vocals. Um, I was up in New York because I had, I had uh, flown out to... Uh, show my mom New York City because she'd never been before oh, and I went cool. out with my brother too and we were like well let's take the bolt like I, I met up with Pat Kinlan who was living in Brooklyn at the time <laughs> and we took the bolt bus down to to Philadelphia <laughs> and and the plan was to write lyrics on the drive <laughs> and that's like the least me shit ever like i need to be yeah. so prepared yeah and pat is someone who writes on the spot constantly yeah which i can't hang with but i was like okay cool like we'll you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll work this out <laughs> on the drive down and then we ended up just gossiping and talking shit the whole drive <laughs> we show up you've just completed like a 10 hour yeah, day a, with blacklisted yeah. you're <laughs> you i can I can tell you are so fried. You're just like, I just want to record these vocals. Like, I'm happy to see my friends, but I just, you know, let's get this done. <laughs> and the look on your face when we said, oh, well, we got to write the lyrics real quick. <laughs> oh, man, that is so good. Hey, you know, I, I'm I'm always down for it. You know, anyone that knows me knows I'm with it, you know, and, uh, and that's where we get some magic. And those songs were really cool. You know, they're all the music was written in the studio. You know, you guys all collapsed in here and just rocked it. So it was uh, it was fun. It was crazy. Crazy has already been four years. That's insane. But yeah, so just some background on this. Uh, I, I know I, th I think I might have hit you up a little bit. But uh, so this podcast is just basically about your first experiences with all these different situations um, that brought you to where you are today. And you and I have, you know, we've known each other now for a few years, but it's still exciting to do these interviews and these conversations because there's definitely so much I just kind of know about you or not the full story, just like little snippets here and there. So 
um, just right out the gate, are you fr- are, are you from Philadelphia originally? Like, are you a, a Conshohocken uh, native? No. So, so I grew up in Philadelphia proper in Northeast Philly. Went to school my entire life in North Philly. Um, my entire life from 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 the jump throughout college. Um, my parents immigrated from China in the late seventies, and it went with their family to uh, settle in New York. And uh, we were the. It was straight up. I don't know if people are familiar with Fresh Off the Boat, the the TV show, and uh, <laughs> um, but it's it's very similar. You know that we were. Um, my my dad had opportunity to open a Chinese restaurant here in Philly, and um, none of our family was out here yet. But he just saw an opportunity, and he kind of moved our family when I was one. You know, from from Brooklyn. You know, we were living in Brooklyn at the time to to Philly. You know. Uh, and we've been here ever since. You know, he doesn't he doesn't uh, uh, run that restaurant anymore. But um, yeah, yeah, that's how kind of how my my journey started. Kind of, you know, my journey here started way way before I was even born. You know what I mean? For me to have the opportunity to make music, you know, it's something. Especially nowadays, it's something I, I I don't take for granted. You know, the sacrifices that my family, my entire family, even not just my parents, my entire family came. You know, leave a crazy life in China to come here and have all their, you know, uh, uh, offspring freaking excel and have opportunities here. So, yeah. So yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, a short answer. Yeah. I, I, I claim Philly for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's beautiful. Yeah. So, so at an early age, what was your first experiences with music? Like what was the first thing that you heard? And do you remember what it was and how old you were that made you just, just fall in love? Yeah. So you know, um, I have a uh, one sibling, one older sibling. Uh, my brother, his name's Wilfred. My name's William, which is kind of crazy. That's what happens oh, wow. when that's what happens when uh, 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 we get named by people uh, by parents that don't fully understand English <laughs> and, and understand the problems that <laughs> might cause later in life. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, uh, but um, yeah, Wilfred, yeah, um, he, uh, all of our. All, our family's a very musical family, you know, from uh, my uh, my cousins to to um, you know even my parents and my my uh, you know just an entire family. We all love music. You know, one of my cousins is a voice major. One of my cousins is a piano major, and um, my brother um, was the one. You know, I think it, it's super easy to to fall in love with music when your when your older brother they look up to is obsessed with music so you know he played me i remember i remember this so vividly you know he played or not played me probably just played in the room chronic you know dr Drake chronic and even at such an early age at like you know six or seven years old it's like something touched me like like it like hit me in a certain way that like you know, my head was moving, my body was moving, probably didn't look cool, but like I was moving, you know what I mean? I was like, whoa, you know, and, and it was cool that my brother liked it because so I wanted to like it, but it straight up moved me. And even from then, I fell in love with hip hop music, with R&B music. Um, you know, he had records like The Score, you know, Fuji's The Score, you know, which is one of my favorite records of all time. And um, and. I'll never forget the first time I listened to that record with them, you know, like at such an early age, it's still, I can still remember that feeling because that's how much the music kind of connected with me when, when ready or not came on is like the, the mood, you know, the mood was so crazy of, of that track and it touched me. And uh, so, you know, I, again, you know, just just from where our family was, we, you know, we're not a wealthy family, um, you know, so like so many things seemed unobtainable like it felt so insane to me that like i have friends that like played musical instruments <laughs> you know what i mean it felt like crazy like, sure, like yeah. it was so out, out like i couldn't touch that you know what i mean like all we had was sports so so we'll play you know we play basketball all day and then while playing basketball we listen to our walkmans and 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 listen to music you know and so you know i never i never pursued music until you know later in elementary school someone you know came up to me and was like oh yeah um thank you be good at music because I, I forget what it was, it was like a talent show and i was singing or something and teacher came up to me and was like you know uh we offer that here i didn't know that i didn't know you know that that my school offered you know uh music lessons and so i started playing the saxophone which uh the alto sax when i was in the fifth grade fourth grade and um i didn't love it 
but I loved the challenge of it. And I loved learning more music. Uh, you know, I loved, um, you know, I love spreading, you know, kind of spreading my horizons on music just outside of hip hop or whatever. And um, so, yeah, I, I kept doing it just because it was almost something to do that just kind of stimulated my, 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 my brain. And um, it wasn't until, you know, middle school that um, I met a lot of friends um, that got me into punk music. And then my, my brother at that same point was getting into the rock music as well. And he, you know, played me in utero, you know, when I was, you know, 10, oh, 10, yeah. 10, year, 10 years old. And that did the same thing that Chronic did a few years before for me. It just, it, I, you know, I, I, I listened to it, you know, when, when Rate Me, Rate Me was the first track that I fell in love with when that came on. I, I didn't even understand all the uh, lyrics, obviously. I was 10, you know, um, but the melody, the way the record hit, it inspired me. It moved me like Chronic. It moved, it moved me like Dre's sounds, like the way his production hits me in my face. That record hit me the same way, just differently, just on, uh, just via a different aesthetic, you know, and I just fell, I fell in love with, with rock music. I fell in love with punk music and then meeting, meeting friends in middle school, you know, uh, that, that were getting into new metal and, and hardcore, you know, I, I just fell in love with it. And what was cool was the jazz band stuff, the jazz, you know, playing, playing sax in the, in the jazz band as a kid, it led me to the drums because I'll see the drummer behind me. I'm like, man, that's the cool shit. I want to be doing that. You know, I was like, I love, I love beats. You know what I mean? Like I loved, I loved hip hop. I was like, I want to be doing that. This fool can't even hold a beat. I, mean, I, I feel I can do this, you know? And so I started picking up drums, man. And I just wanted to play in bands. And at that point in my life, I was like, I want to be a drummer forever, you know, like that, you know, when I was, when I was 11, 12 years old, you know, so, you know, that kind of just started my, my love for music. Um, well, right off the gate, how, what's the, what's the age difference between your brother and you? Four years, four years. It's so funny how, um, common the tale is. And I, and I think it's, a, you know, like only, kids that are only child, you know, like they, there's a, such a different drive with them because they, you know, like they have to find everything kind of on their own or like until they meet a friend that, you know, like kind of a thing. And, but then, but, uh, the, the people that have the older brother or the older sister or, or whatnot that or maybe the cool uncle with the record collection, you know, like there's, there's always that element too. So I had an older brother as, as I have an older brother as well as a year and a half older, but like we both kind of found music around the same time, um, s- similar situation. But, uh, it's funny how you're describing how Dre, and and then like Nirvana, like all kind of appealed to you in the same way. And, and um, I've been talking about this where it's funny when you're young, just like every kind of music is exciting. You're you're too young to have to to like find the negative in anything. And I think that's so beautiful that like for <laughs> you're like you're not a critic until you're much older. Like That's giving me chills. You saying that right now. You know what I mean? Because that's 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 how that's how I look at music. That's how I look at 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 songs, you know what I mean? I tell, I tell bands, like, I don't care what you sound like. I don't, I don't don't care what it sounds like unless, uh, as long as the songs are great, you know what I mean? And I'm a fan of everything. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of every genre of music, as long as the message is right, as long as the message is clear and focused and, and, and agrees with my soul, man, like, that's all I care about. And as long as it's honest, you know, I think as a kid, that filter is way less clouded. You know what I mean? You just appreciate what, what feels good and makes you feel good. You know? So you started, you picked up the drums in junior high. Yep. Yep. Sixth grade, sixth grade, junior high. Yeah. And did you do like the, the, the like junior high jazz band, like the, the school band? Is yeah. that like kind of where you learned or? No, uh, no, I learned, I did do that. Um, I, I, for some reason, man, I, I was a very like hard person to, to coach or to like teach like I, even even in sports you know what i mean uh, you know i was i was always so stubborn um and uh so i found i think that's when i really started falling in love with you know same time nirvana and punk music and and heavier stuff because 
I was just saying, yo, fuck this. I'm, uh, you know, my friend just gave me fucking the Deftones record to listen to. I'm, I'm gonna play along to the Deftones record. You know what I mean? And like, um, so, so I started, you know, where I really learned was I, I taught myself. You know what I mean? I taught myself. And that's not true. My friends taught me. You know, being in a room jamming with my friends who I, I knew a lot of other drummers. You know, and um, and a lot of guitar players that we had. You know, a thousand bands together in a basement in freaking Brisburg in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, we just we we you know they taught me you know we taught each other and uh for throughout throughout junior high and i still i kept up with the jazz band stuff just because again it was something to do you know and uh but yeah yeah i yeah um you know i i don't discredit those teachers at all but you know i wasn't yeah you know, it was part me and part you know probably their their style of teaching towards me you know what i mean but uh i was definitely a stubborn kid yeah but you know i was i was ready i was ready ready for hardcore. I was ready for punk music. I was ready for hip hop. You know what I mean? Like stuff that, you know, at that point I was like, all right, uh, I'm just going to do this my way. You know what I mean? You know, stubbornly so. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, I played guitar, uh, like, you know, that was like the instrument I started, I picked up in junior high just with like a, you know, everyone's favorite, like, or everyone's usual, like Squire Stratocaster kind of thing. And, uh, but it's the same thing. Like I was like, I took a couple of guitar lessons and I was terrible. I had no attention span. I wasn't like grasping onto anything. Like I just learned some of the basic chords that, you know, like were just not the kind of chords that were of the music I was in love with at the time. You know, like I was like, cool, like uh, A, G, D, e, you know, whatever. But then at that same time, I was starting to, you know, play music with, kids in junior high and, and one of them showed me the power chord and yeah. i was like I was all, all right yeah. all my favorites <laughs> it's it that's a wrap that's like it. all my favorite songs are just this simple chord so i immediately quit guitar lessons because yeah. that next week they're like the, they wanted to start teaching me how to how to read music and i was like i'm out like yeah. this isn't like i just learned how to play smells like teen spirit why am i gonna waste my time <laughs> <laughs> amazing yeah that's that's so true again that goes back to like what you said about you know the records that kind of kind of you know, was the genesis of what, of, of, of this, like, if it didn't feel honest to me and it didn't connect with my soul immediately, I just wasn't interested again, stubbornly. So, but that's, that's just how I do music. You know what I mean? Obviously now I'm a little more disciplined than I was when I was 11. You know, I would like to think so, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, so I, I'm, 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 I've been trying to get more open as I, as I grew up, you know what I mean? But like, if it didn't sure. connect with me in a way, you know, I wasn't taking it in, you know what I mean? I was only, I was only interested in what hit, hit my soul quick and what hit my soul correctly and immediately. So yeah, man, crazy, crazy to think about. You and it. I, yeah, you you and I must be very close in age. I don't know if we ever if we ever did that. I'm I'm 37, so you got to be what 35? I'm 33. Just turned 33. Yeah. 33. Yeah, okay. 33. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're definitely we're, we're close so you, enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you mentioned uh, you mentioned the uh, the new metal. So you were you, uh, you you dipped your toe into new metal. You couldn't ignore it. You know what I mean? You could, it was so big. It was so when think about when when I was in the sixth grade. Um, or we seventh grade. I remember this very, very clearly. You know, corn and like uh, whatever Slipknot and 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 all this music was literally battling the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears on TRL on MTV. You know, the biggest music pop culture thing at that point. You know what I mean? And this is before I really got into like Kid Dynamite or like hardcore that you know. Uh, um, I, I don't know what you call call that, but like just like before I got into hardcore, har, hardcore, you know. Um, but like, it it was so big, it was so big that I was so looking forward to Chronic two thousand one coming out in nineteen ninety nine, I believe. Yeah, Chronic two thousand one in ninety nine, and at the same year, same Friday or. Tuesday, the records came out on Tuesday at that point. Yeah. On the same exact Tuesday, Corn Issues came out. I've been looking forward to that Dr. Dre record since chron the chronic chronic one. You know what I mean? And issues outsold it by so many records. There was one was Corn, two was Dr. Dre, Chronic 2001 that I still listen to today. I still reference two thousand I still reference two thousand and one. I'm I'm it 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 blew my mind that it was that it was that 
you know, I, 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 no, it didn't blow my mind then because it made sense then because it was so massive. They were to, at that point, corn was as big as the, the, you know, the Backstreet Boys. So, you know, of course I listened. It was, it was, it was hard not to listen. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I, I got, you know, you know, I still listen to, you know, I fucking love Slipknot, you know, and uh, um, yeah, you know, again, all those, all those records, all those sounds still stick with me. You know what I mean? Uh, I still reference a lot of it. Um, with a lot of bands that I work with, you know, um, sometimes we say, you know, I use all these reference points for something that we're chasing and, and sometimes that we're trying to avoid say, all right, that's a little too me- new metally in, in order for that to be va- for a valid thing to say to someone, you have to know what new metal actually is. You know what I mean? So like, you know, so, um, so, and, and I did, you know what I mean? It, it, you know, it wasn't my favorite cup of tea, but it was something undeniable. It was undeniable and I appreciate it for what it was. Yo, I have a really funny uh, story about issues. So um, a couple years ago, I got to interview Jonathan Davis for Alternative Press. And I like you, man. I, I'm just like you. Like that. I mean, early corn records were were like a huge part of my life. Like, I think they're incredible. It, they're, the first I was, two records are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was thinking actually recently, too, about how crazy it is that Marilyn Manson and Kurt Cobain didn't exist at the same time. Like, like as soon as Kurt passed, it was like, like months later that the new metal, like corn started or like, or like when the corn record came out. So it's like, they never, they never crossed. And I couldn't imagine a world where they did. It's interesting to think about. I got, you know, I found aggressive music and, and the first corn record and all that stuff. So I was like a huge, huge fan up until I found hardcore, like in the, you know, very late nineties, early two thousands. That's when I kind of made the switch. There was a little bit of crossover for a minute, which I'm sure a lot of us had, but like, um, but, but so yeah, I was like a big corn fan. So I got offered to do this interview and I was like, holy shit, I got to interview Jonathan Davis, but like, I feel bad. Cause I don't know what to ask him over his career of these last like 20 years. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. I have a lot of questions I could ask him about the early days. So just like going through all their stuff. Like there was all this really fascinating information that I was like, like if you, there's a website that like lists all their tour dates, um, those first few years. And it's like, they genuinely did not stop touring. Like it was just like one tour after another into another. And somehow in there, they like found time to record life is peachy and then blah, blah, blah. So, but you look at their release schedule and it's, well, it's mind blowing. Cause you, you realize like, remember fall, the leader came out and they became the biggest band in the world. Biggest band like, in the world. The, Freak on a leash. The fucking video. Got that the life. Crazy. Yeah. 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 They destroyed TRL. They were just like the biggest band. Right. So that happened in 98. And then you look and they put out issues one year later. One year later. And so I was looking at that and I had to ask him. I was like, I was like, you know, there, there was one or two things before that, that I was like trying to be kind and not like, ju- not like with Life is Peachy, it, when you reflect on that record, so many of those tracks, no offense to Korn, feel like filler tracks. Like there's like the first song, which is just like him doing the gibberish thing. There's a low rider cover. There's a Ice Cube cover. There's a song where he just uses bad words. There's an instrumental track. So there's like really genuinely like five, four or five songs that are actual songs. The rest feels like filler. So I was like, yo, like no disrespect, but like were you just sort of rushed into the studio because you were just on a roll and then maybe you weren't as prepared? And he was like, nah, we love that shit. We love all those covers. We love oh, yeah. <laughs> who we wanted to I be. I love that. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, I was like, all right, cool. I'm wrong. Like, I love to hear that. I love to hear that I'm wrong. Like I had the wrong impression. Okay. So I'm like, fall leader comes out. You're the biggest band in the entire world. Everybody is a big corn fan. Everyone, you know, you're selling out, uh, definitely like huge, huge rooms at that point. So why do a record one year later, like you haven't like fully even toured the world off of all the leader yet. Like, was that management rushing you in to like, just keep the, keep, you know, keep momentum. And he was just like, he was like, nah, man, fuck management. We just wanted to make another record immediately. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, like, Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Yeah, punk as fuck. I've, I've backed that. I backed that so hard. I, I love that. And it's such a juxtaposition to how things are these days. When you look at it, you're like, it's like, you know, you've, you've worked with so many of the, you know, a lot of the records you've done are for bands that you're, you know, you get repeated work from them. So like, could you imagine like, for instance, those turnover records coming out one year apart? Like there's no way. Yeah. It's crazy. I, 
I, I was just thinking back on it was it's, it's so crazy to me that that looking back it felt so normal even 2010 2011 2012 in 2011 <clears throat> shed came out title fights shed i don't think people know that Flora Green came out like a year and change later, a year and a half at most later. And, and that's still not as quick as that, but still, it still like boggles my mind. Yeah. Cause I talk to, you know, labels all the time. We're like, oh no, we got, we got, we got juice this. We got juice. I'm like, eh, fuck that. You know, if, if we want, let's, let's, you know, do it the smart way, but you know, let's, you know, why, you know, why are fucking so many, you know, why, why is hip hop so, why are these hip hop artists so successful? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, why are they then uh, fucking new rock stars? Not only are they fucking great and inspiring, but they continually put out content. They continually put out songs rather that's that they're singles or EPs or whatever. They're, they're putting out stuff. They're putting out stuff. And it's not, it doesn't feel like this, like machine turned out branded thing it was like oops two years a two-year contract let's go another one's like you know i I do i do you know we we follow a lot of that but like i am i'm all for that of just putting out content when it feels right to put out content and you know you know when when it's um not just the smartest but when you have something to say you have something to say put out put out content you know what i mean that's 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 what i see and and so i back that shit back in the day you know it's definitely interesting to look at to look at the different worlds because you obviously you operate in both because you still you work with hip hop artists and you have definitely in your past. Um, and then obviously you you work with so much rock artists, but like, yeah, the the rollouts are so wildly different, you know, with it's it's like labels understand that, oh, this band is only going to put out a record every couple of years or something like that. So we have to pour everything we can to like get the people's attention for these few weeks. Whereas a lot of hip hop and R and B and, and, and that world, it's just like, Oh no, we can just drop a single and it'll just get a million plays on Spotify with it, you know, in a week. And then we could just continue doing that. And it's just constant flow of money. It's just, they, that genre definitely has it figured out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I know, you know, I, I know bands have tried to like, you know, kind of, kind of apply that, and some sometimes works, some that doesn't. I think it, it just comes just from yeah. I think I think you know what you just got to do is just do what you want. You know what I mean? The, like like you know, I got I got the pleasure of working with Miss Hill for you know Miss Lauren Hill for for so long. She puts out music when she wants to put out music. You know what I mean? So so that's that. So that I think that's the thing. I, you know, as long uh, you know, if you want to put out a record a, a year later, you know, as long as it makes sense. Let's, let's fucking do it you know what i mean like like nothing's gonna stop me from making my music you know what i mean so you know i you know i don't think a schedule a schedule should stop you from making your music you want to put out records put out rec- records look at big thief you know what i mean like that 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 shit was the it you know having two records out last year was bigger press than the press itself you know what i mean for them you know so um yeah yeah so yeah i want to get into you just mentioned lauren hill i want to get yeah. i want to get us there so you uh so you're playing drums, you're, you're, are you playing just like with random friends? Like, do you have an actual band or are you just like jamming with friends, learning covers and things like uh, that? I, I think we, we I, I was, I was just doing what I, what I could, <laughs> you know, I just wanted, I, I just wanted to play, I just wanted to play drums. So like, you know, at this point, you know, I was just, I, you know, I went to a predominantly white and 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 black school in in North Philly I was one like there was probably only like three Asian kids in in my entire school my in my entire junior high high school um junior high school um and so you know it was it was it, it, it you know I, I'm going to talk about this with you know a few and I remember to do an interview back then and we were talking about like Asian inclusion you know what I mean and you know so, so it's always a sensitive topic for, for me to talk about because I get pretty passionate about it but like it was basically you know it wasn't a cool look for like these these you know uh white dudes you know playing uh new metal music because they just wanted to look these kids because they're kids they wanted to look like the people that were on the tv you know what i mean and it was like i i so any opportunity that had to play drums or play with anyone i took you know what i mean and it was it was you know kind of sad it was it was was just a a a bummer looking back at it because you know i got kicked out of bands i got kicked you know i i i didn't get 
I didn't get looks. I'm not saying it was because, you know, I, I'm Chinese, but being Chinese didn't help when everybody wanted to look like Jonathan Davis. They wanted to look like, you know what I mean? Dave Severa behind the drums. And, and you know, I, it's fucked up. It's, it's it, you know, when, when I was in middle school, I was called Chino. I don't know how that happened. You know what I mean? That became like my nickname. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, man, that, that's just fucked up. If like my, if my future son told me that I'll, I'll be, I'll be so bummed. I'll be so sad. I'll be so angry. Right. You know what I mean? But like, you know, that, that was, that was the situation I was, I was, I was in. And so I, all I wanted to do was play. So anyone that had a band, anyone that had a guitar, I was like, dude, let's start a band. Let's start a band. Cause I wanted to look at those guys too. I wanted to be Nirvana. I want, I wanted to be the Smashing Pumpkins. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, yes. Um, yeah, so I, you know, started a lot of bands, you know, played a lot of shitty bands. <laughs> uh, and we, I've, the cool thing is we always, I, I always didn't want to play covers. You know what I mean? If it's like, like again, it, like, it, you know, we, we'll play covers to like rock and, and warm up or whatever. But I wanted to like write songs for some reason. I wanted to, you know, build songs with people uh, just because it made me feel like we're making like a thing. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, so I played in bands throughout, you know, throughout junior high. And then in the eighth grade, one of my best friends who, you know, a couple years ago passed away. I'm sorry. But he's the reason why, you know, it's it's all, it's all good. So very close to his family there. He was a very inspiring guy. He's the reason I do this, but uh, he, um, it was me and him. He, he was, he lived down the street. That's the only reason why we, we became friends, you know, it's because he up proximity and that's why he gave me a shot to be his drummer, you know, cause I live so close and, uh, cause I was pretty bad, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, at that point I was pretty bad, but, um, but yeah, in, in the eighth grade, you know, we just start writing songs. We just start writing songs and he gave me a chance and we, we were, we were killing it, man. And, uh, uh, we said, we want to record this. So, so me and him, you know, you used to like, save up a hundred bucks to get like a Tascam little recorder, you know, one of those tape recorders, yeah. man, if fucking kids <laughs> knew what we had to do to record music <laughs> back then, even, even 20 years ago, you know, 25 years ago, you're, it's fucking crazy. Like I saved up so much money, you know, like, you know, from allowance or whatever to, to get a fucking hundred dollar Tascam four track tape recorder. And, um, yeah, if uh, we we used to record these these things, and we used to like you know get go to you know uh, whatever uh, uh, I don't know what it was called back then. I think it was like called farmer or whatever to like buy like blank cassettes and print it on blank cassettes and give it to our friends, you know. And uh, we 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 were like, let's can we get this on CD? Because you know we bought CDs. How do we get this on CD? So we just opened up the yellow pages and started calling every studio in in the philadelphia area that that had an advertised price of like 20 bucks an hour 25 dollars an hour 30 dollars an hour and um yeah it was that that began my chase for recording records was that i remember i remember it so vividly me and dylan my 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 best friend at the time we just called every studio and um we landed on this studio called ground control uh recording Every Philly musician, my in our age bracket, knows ground control recording because it was it wasn't just a recording studio, but it was a rehearsal room that every band rehearsed in, from Blacklisted to Cold World to you know especially bands bands back then back then um, to Bad Luck Thirteen. Holy shit! Yeah, it, it was it, it, it was oh crazy, God. but yeah. But at this point, it was just this guy, Chris Grillo, in his in his basement, in his row home in uh, in Northeast Philly. And uh, so we paid him twenty bucks an hour for a day for like five hours, five hour session to record two songs. That day, the second I stepped in, it was the first time I ever stepped into the studio. I was so how I was twelve years old at this point, twelve or thirteen years old, uh, and thirteen. Yeah, I was thirteen years old. And I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. I fucking love this. I want this. I, I can live here, you know. And and after recording drums, I told Chris Grillo, I was like, dude, if you ever need any help, if you ever need like uh, someone to, to to clean your studio, clean the toilets, get get people coffee, I'm – I'm in, you know, let, let me know. And it was just so happens he was moving a studio to a warehouse 
um, right right next to the Holmesburg prison in PA. And he was like, I could use an intern. I could use I can use someone to help run the rehearsal rooms that I'm building. And um, I I I I was like, fuck yeah, you know, I don't care what I don't care what it paid if it was five dollars. He's like, he literally said, I can pay you five dollars an hour. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's more. That's five more dollars than I was making. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, because um, you would have done it for free. Yeah. So I started running these rehearsal rooms for him when I was, you know, it was about a year later when the studio opened when I was fourteen, and uh, uh it was fresh. My, yeah, it, my freshman year of high school, and uh, we I started helping out the studio. Um, and I just fell in love with it, man. I fell in love with it. And I was playing in bands at this point, still playing in new high school bands. And it was a little easier. My, you know, my high school was very eclectic. Um, and um, a lot of musicians were there. Uh, a lot of people I still talk to to this day. A lot of guys that really inspired me. And uh, they uh, I started all these bands. Um, I start to realize something as I, as, as, you know, high school kind of happened when I was getting kicked out of a bunch of bands because no one really want, liked being in a band with me because I was kind of a control freak. <laughs> I was kind of like, you know, I was, I was not, not a control freak in this negative way, but like I saw a vision. I saw a vision on songs and I wanted to chase this vision. And, um, and I remember, you know, one of my bands had a manager at, at this point and he was like, yeah, I know it's not working out with these bands, but will you will make a great producer. Oh, that's awesome. So was there a point when you started to have to juggle between, uh, making music and then recording music? Did that become ever like an issue? No, not really. Cause I was just doing both. And at that, at that point, you know, I had the time to do both because it wasn't like I had, you know, I, I always needed the work. It just it just naturally progressed more so from um, from drumming, from playing music to to um, to producing. You know, um, I guess I guess we're telling my timeline. I can, I can tell a whole story about getting into Studio Four because that that's a very that was the turning point. I guess that was a turning point of uh, of when it became more of a. Of, of producing was more so my became the number one priority but uh yeah so in in th this i tell the story every time i do like a guest lecture in uh in class but uh i i think it would help helps uh, any any college kids and any aspiring producers but so i became obsessed with producing i was still playing in bands but i became obsessed with producing and i knew i always wanted to be in a studio i wanted to record my own stuff i wanted to uh, help build other records of other people all the time um anyone that knows me you know uh my my girlfriend my partner would be the first one to tell you any my my assistants anyone that that anyone my friends would would t could tell you that i'm a i'm not a 50 person i don't do anything at 50 percent if i do anything i become obsessed with it <laughs> and i have to feel like i've done my best you know what i mean i always chase i always chase shit like that's why I like collecting things is a very dangerous habit for me i started with one pair of jordans now I have like a thousand but that's a different story for a different day but uh, um but i'm a very it, 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 I, i'm a hundred or zero you know and at that point i was obsessed with drumming music and producing so <clears throat> even at 17 years old um, I would kind of like plan out the rest of my life. Like, what is my goal here? What is my goal? Where do I want to end up? And I, I knew I uh, like, again, New York, LA was still unfathomable to me. Like I was like, how I'm never, that's, that's too big. You know what I mean? Like, but like, you know, I will, I will read through credits, you know, and like the score, the boys, men records, the Cypress Hill records are all credited with studio four in Contra Hawken, PA, it's like, is that close? You know, at that point, I was like, where is this place? You know, it's not even close to me. Is that, you know, it's on the other side of the state. And, uh, um, you know, it's not. <laughs> it's about 20 minutes away from where I lived, you know. And I was like, what the fuck? There's this studio that's recording Bob Dylan, that's recording, you know, that is re recording Aerosmith to Bon Jovi. And then they also have a record label called Rough House Records, putting out Lauren Hill Records and Wyclef Records and Chris Cross Records, records that my brother had stacked up and they got me into even years prior. How do I end up there? And then I, I, I you couldn't call, you know, I would call them, couldn't get through. Um, there's a website you couldn't get through. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it felt like a private club. You know what I mean? It felt like 
they didn't want a kid like that there. For, you know, why would they, you know, you know, so I, you know, because at that point, I was like, if this worked at the studio that I'm working for now, this should work in other studios. I should just hit them up and see if they want help, if they want whatever, you know what I mean? If they want to intern. Um, and then at this point in my life, there was a, there was a radio, a really pop, popular radio station called uh, Y100 um, in, in Philly. It's an alternative radio Um very cool it was a very very cool station they, they promoted a lot of local music um and it's the only station that played alternative music but they used to do they call them y100 sonic sessions where they a, a a big act will come into the studio and just do live live recordings um you know i remember back in the day third eye blind did one jimmy world did one and um uh, i i hit up the studio in my freshman year of college, it was called Indre Recording. I hit up the studio and uh, the studio manager uh, uh, answered and I said, hey, um, blah, 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 I'm, I'm this, this, and this, you know, I'm going to Temple University. Um, I would love to intern at your studio for free if there's, if there's an opening. And all she said was, I'm sorry, we're full. That was it, you know, and I was so bummed. I remember getting off the phone and I was so, so bummed. I was just like, Ooh, now what do I do? For some reason, for some reason, I thought that was going to work. <laughs> I don't know why, but I thought that was going to be just that easy. So, um, so instead, what, what I did was I had all this money saved up from recording in, in my basement. And uh, I emailed her and I said, I would like to book mastering time. I, I felt like I needed to get my foot in that door. I don't know how I was going to get my foot in that door as an intern or as an assistant, but like, yo, people love money. People love work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what, 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 you know, what if I just got there as a, got in as a client, you know what I mean? And yeah. And get some songs mastered too. But like, you know, my, my main goal is getting my foot in that door and I saved up a thousand bucks and, I, and I don't, I'm not sure if you remember Jeremy, when you're 17 or 18 years old, a thousand dollars is a impossible just impossible fuck, epic <laughs> fuck ton of money so it's so much money yeah and um so uh, much so much money yeah i saved up for months of like grinding at five dollars an hour and recording at that other studio and uh recording my mom's basement for like ten dollars an hour i saved up for months just to bring you know a record in for for them to master at, at indre and um i'll never forget you know his, his name is mike rochelle uh uh an engineer that has became a mentor in my life at that point but uh i remember the first track he loaded up he you know this was in the master room so so they had a big live room when they did all the shows and stuff too but we're in, we're in his master room upstairs and he turns to me and says where'd you record this and i said in my mom's basement the size of like a fucking cubicle you know what i mean it was like it, you know it was a very small room and he's like dude this sounds better than half the stuff we do in the big room whoa um i'm like i'm like dude that i was like i got it i'm in now <laughs> and i just should have said dude mike if there's any time i can help you for free let me know let me know man um i i'm down and he was like actually an intern dropped out for this sunday for this big choir like this like vocal choral session you know for this this college you know there's gonna be 20 kids here i could use the help i was like i'm in got there that sunday and then the boss at that point his name was mike comstock who ran the studio who ran the entire studio he was slowly i just found it out that day and i was heartbroken they were transitioning the studio from a big in-house studio to just mobile because he was recording a lot of huge live records um and that just was just way more you know uh, 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 financially friendly uh, for them and um but he, uh mike comstock the boss came in and was like oh i heard about you um i heard you got some chops I'm recording a band at the Electric Factory next Saturday. Are you free to assist me on it? And I'm and I was like, of course, I'm in. And it was it was my first paying gig ever, you know, outside of the stuff that I was doing. You know what I mean? And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I I didn't care what band it was. I didn't give a shit. I just wanted to fucking do well. I just wanted to fucking be in a, a great assistant. I showed up. And at this point, it was a. Uh, <laughs> uh, he didn't tell me until I got there. He was like, "It's for. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's super sold out. It's for this band called uh, the Fray." And I'm like, "Cool, sweet. 
I don't know. I don't know. And then Isaac, the singer, walks into the truck. I meet Isaac. I was like, cool. He seemed like a nice guy. I had no idea they were massive at this point. And this was before. So this was before the first record even came out. But like people already knew the songs because I think they had an EP out. And I think I think the lead single just got placed. You know what I mean? Uh, on. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. This is when I was like 19. So. So. Yeah, whatever, 2005, 2006, six years. Whatever. I was a freshman in college at Temple, um, 18 or 19. But but yeah, so like this is as they were popping off and it was the fray. And then at Soundcheck, they played the Soundcheck with How to Save a Life while I'm on stage grabbing the recording. And I'm like, I think this band's going to be the biggest band in the world. <laughs> and then a, a year or two later. Fast forward, yeah, they're like they, given they become, Coldplay a run for their money. Yeah, exactly. This and, yeah, So it was crazy. So I started working at that studio. That studio shuts down. And um, and Mike Rochelle, the guy that I was mastering, was opening up another studio. And he wanted to take me with him. He wanted to give me a room at a studio. So I started working there. My goal going to Temple was to meet Phil Nicolo. That was my goal. That was the only reason I didn't go to Penn. That was the only reason why I went to Temple University was to meet Phil Nicolo. He's the one that owns Studio 4 in Conshohocken. His brother, him, and their partner, Chris Schwartz, started Roughhouse Records, uh, a, a one of the most important hip-hop record labels of all time. They were the the indie label in the early 90s, you know, from uh, Lauren Hill to the Fugees, like a bunch of, you know, a bunch of other things I already mentioned. Um, but he taught there at Temple. So I took his class sophomore year and fucking after the first class, I went up to him and I said, let me work for you. I said, let me intern. Same, same spiel. I was like, but now, at least now I have a few more credits under me. I was like, I just did this with the fray. I just did this with Cradle of Filth. I just did, you know, all these live recordings. And um, he was like, just show up. I'm like, what? He was like, just show up. And that day I drove over, I showed up that same day. He was like, I'll be there. I was like, you're going to be there today? I was like, yeah. He's like, yep. And I showed up that day. Um, I couldn't find the studio. It took me forever to find a studio. I, if you remember, Jeremy, is a pretty, not the easiest studio to find, you know? So, uh, yes, I mean, most, most credible studios are a little tucked <laughs> yeah, away. Yeah. So I got into the studio and I helped out with this. Uh, there were a band from Brazil, a very cool band. Um, and I, from then on, I never left the studio. <laughs> that day at Studio 4 was the beginning. That was where I think my whole life pivoted. I was like, this was my dream. Two years ago, this was my dream to be at Studio 4, to to work, to potentially work here. And a week or two later, Phil hits me up because um, he knew I had some gear. He was doing a bigger, this this big band um, was, was about, wanted to record a cover, a Queen cover song. And, um, and he wanted to borrow some of my gear. He wanted to know if I wanted to work that day for pay. He wanted me to like help assist the session, not just be an intern. I was like, fuck yeah, pay me whatever. I rolled in with some extra gear and it was for the band Keen. Um, at this point, again, they were huge, nominated for Grammys. They, were, they, they, they still have, they're still big. They're still massive. And uh, they, uh, I helped assist, uh, assistant engineer, a uh, uh, queen uh, uh, under pressure, their version of under pressure, which is on a few compilations. But um, yeah, that, that, that few, that month or two uh, of starting to assist at Studio Four really, really, you know, kind of told the rest of my future. You know what I mean? I was like, this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm still going to play in bands. I'm still going to play music. But, but instead of the other way, instead of like being, instead of playing music and then seeing what production does, it was now I'm producing music. And if opportunities pop up where I can play music, I'm going to do it. Uh, uh, But it, 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 all anchored around the studio all anchored around studio four um and 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 what i was doing in studio four so yeah man that that was a crazy crazy time in my life you know and yeah yeah. so so obviously that connection um with rough house and everything like that did lauren did what was situated did like lauren kill come in to record and needed a drummer on the spot kind of a thing yeah so so at this point um Lauren uh, Miss Hill hasn't put out record has not put out a record since her unplugged record in in early with 2000 2001 or whatever it was but she you know Miss Education came out came out in 98 you know so um 
it's been a long time and people and then one that's one of the most important records ever you know and people really wanted a follow-up but she went away she's you know time for herself time to start family and I, I always remember this, but like I was working, I was working, I was working and Chris Schwartz, you know, CEO of Rough House, you know, who still helped manage uh, Miss Hill's career, used to always say she's down, she's down to work, she's down to work. Um, and there was a few times that she booked a studio to feel us out to like see what Phil and I were were kind of you know, just to see if we, if, if we all vibe, you know, and she uh, she ended up canceling a few of those times, and and after the third cancellation, I was like, "This is never going to happen. This is who who the fuck who the fuck am what the fuck am I thinking? This is Lauren Hill. Why would she ever record with me? You know what I mean?" And um and at this point, I was uh, drumming for uh, Schoolie D, uh, probably one of the originators of of gangster rap. You know, Ice T would tell you that he's what he is one of the pioneers of gangster rap. You know, he was one of the first people to say from Philly. He's one of the first people to say a lot of bad words on recording ever. <laughs> you know, it, 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 uh, um, he did all his records in at studio four back in the day. And, um, uh, we're, we're mixed, we we're working on his new record and I became his music director. Uh, I played bass on his record actually, but, um, and I started playing drums for him live. And, um, you know, he, uh, him and uh, Miss Hill were friendly as well. Um, so I was doing that at that time. And I wasn't even thinking about Miss Hill, uh, you know, anymore. Cause I was just like, I'm not getting my hopes up. You know what I mean? I'm definitely a realist. And, um, and then, you know, and Christopher said, no, she's going to come this time. There was like the fourth time she booked. I'm like, sure, sure, sure. I'm pretty sure I didn't even get like dressed nice. I'm pretty sure I just put, you know what I mean? Like the first three times I was like, I was all prepped up, you know what I mean? And then, Man, this this one Sunday, there's a Sunday evening, she walks through the door and I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, that's that's Miss Lauren Hill. You know what I mean? And um, I never get starstruck. I never get starstruck from uh, by musicians usually because I always try to be on top of my game with shit. You know what I mean? You know, I have I've the honor of meeting Prince, honor, of, you know, of working with, you know, my favorite, you know, the Roots and Questlove. You know, we, you know, we did a bunch of shows with them to Jay-Z. We, you know, I introduced Jay-Z and Beyonce to Lauren's child. You know what I mean? Like, th- like none of that. I, I never felt starstruck meeting like a, 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 a musical celebrity. Um but when when Lauren Hill walked through that room, I was starstruck. I was I was blown away I, just because I knew how prolific she was and her words meant so much to me. You know what I mean? I I love these other artists I mentioned, but but Lauren's words were 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 a part of my blood. You know what I mean? Her songs were a part of me. Um, so I, I was starstruck and I was definitely nervous. And we did one trial session, went through the entire night. You know, I don't think we got out there till three to three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. And um, and then we get a call the next day that she fucks with us, that she she wants to work with us. And but she does not want to drive from South Orange, New Jersey to Conchalk and PA all the time. How about uh, she she buys another house and we build a studio in that house for her. <laughs> And that's what we did the sum, the the winter of, of 2009. Uh, we spent uh, Phil and I. We went to so many beautiful houses in North Jersey um, to vibe out the rooms and, and play drums in, in in every spot. And yeah, we built a studio for her. We started working in the 2010. And uh, 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 we were, at first, we we're just uh, working on making songs or making potentially new songs uh, to release. And then she uh, word got out that she was playing live again or, or that she was active again. So a lot of promoters started hitting her up and to, to, uh, to do some shows because they all knew that would be a big ticket. So she, she, she agreed to a few and we put together a band and then there was, I, I, <laughs> there, it was, it was crazy, but yeah, I, you know, I remember where our uh, one drummer couldn't make it, you know, so I started dr- drumming for her. She was like, Will, you play drums. So I started drumming for a rehearsal in, in the rehearsals. I drummed for, you know, overseas here and there when we needed it. Um, it was the most stressful time of my life. <laughs> so I, I did everything from producing 
to drumming for her. And then while, while we're, you know, we're on tour, um, I was helping with like production management too. You know, um, I was kind of liaison between everyone and, and the band and the crew. Um, I started tour managing for her. My first tour managing gig for her was in fucking, that's crazy. Fucking Rwanda. We did Rwanda. And that was my first gig tour managing ever was for Lauren Hill playing Rwanda. And, um, yeah, man. And so I spent the next four or five years, just uh, four four years doing everything. In order to work with Miss Hill, you have to be a jack of all trades. You know what I mean? That's why all of her guys get work, can work with anyone because, you know, anyone knows that if you worked with fucking Lauren Hill, you can do anything, you know, because she puts you through it. She, she expects a lot out of you, but she also fucking helps you grow. So anything from monitors, front of house, tour managing drumming producing engineering i my all that like my my brain my 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 soul grew all those all those trees grew so much just from working with her for for that that part of my life and i'll forever be grateful because you know that i I feel like working with lauren was a reason why i got a lot of the rock acts that i i did was because I, I'm attracted to bands that don't like staying stagnant. You know what I mean? And I remember talking to, to Title Fight. They're like, you know, we just don't want to make another, you know, we just don't want to make a fucking punk record or a pop punk record with any punk guy because we're just going to get lumped in all the shit and it's just going to sound like that. We want it to feel different. And, you know, they're, they're all attracted to, you know, uh, indie music and hip hop music. Um, and, I feel like that was a big reason why, you know, we connected so well. And same thing with Lauren Hill and same thing with Schooly D, same thing with Beanie Siegel. You know, they don't want to be lumped in with any other hip hop person. You know, uh, uh, Lauren is such a big musical fan. You know, she loves Zeppelin. She loves fucking The Strokes, you know, so she she loves guitars. And she knew I had a handle on that because I work all these rock acts, too. So it's like I was able to bridge a lot of stuff. And I feel like that's been my calling card ever since is you know, you know, I know I've done a lot of, you know, people associate me with whatever the fuck people associate me with in terms of genre of music. But everyone that works with me knows that I'm not as dimensional as labeling me with a genre or a blend of music, because that's not what I, that's not what I am. And um, that's why I get the bands that I do. And I think that's why you see a lot of these records from title fight to your turnovers to, you know, uh, to almost every band that I work with, that we're not afraid to pivot and shift because it's not about me just doing something different to make it fucking feel different. It's about doing what the artist wants to do to grow. And, uh, um, and that, and that's been my goal ever since. And that's why I track the inspiring artists that I do. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, Hey, to wrap this up, just, uh, I, I, the last thing I like to ask people is, do you remember, I mean, I'm sure we've covered it, but just maybe there's something else, but do you remember the first moment where it hit you that you were doing exactly what you were wanting to do. Like that moment of like, holy fuck, I'm doing it. I, I'm going to say it's pretty recent because even, even up, up through, even while making floor green, while making uh peripheral vision, while making, um, uh, while even making spin, you know, Tiger's jar record, that was, that was, that was, that was pretty recent. There's always this insecure moment of like, damn fucking am i doing good enough you know what i mean am i doing good enough i think my goal was always you know in terms of like doing exactly what i want to do isn't about like the circumstances that i'm in it's about how i feel doing it and and it's about my confidence in that i can fucking do this i think that's more important to me than oh i'm doing it you know because i was already in these studios i was already in the same exact studio helping make a record back in 2009 in studio four in 2010 right but like i never felt fully secure that and slash confident that fuck man i deserve to fucking be here and i think it's not probably until until recently man i'm not sure which record but i remember there were a few records i'm like we're fucking doing this. I'm fucking doing this and we're doing this together. 
this is what I'm, this is what I was put on this earth to do. Cause you know, there's, there's so many years where you're coming up and people doubting you from even close people to, you know, obviously the, um, social media or whatever that don't, might not fuck with your records, but like, you know, there's always this doubt of like, damn, like, am I actually good at this? I don't know. <laughs> you know, am I do, do I, do I deserve to be here? You know what I mean? And, um, I think that, and I should up, I think that's still important to keep. I still, I like having, you know, I still work with a bit of that chip on my shoulders. Like, yeah, if you don't, if you don't have even a touch of imposter syndrome, I don't trust your it, ass. Exactly. <laughs> exact, and I have a lot of that. Cause I'm like, fuck man, even I'm working on a sick ass mix for now. I'm like, am I qualified to be doing this shit? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, um, but you know, and the, when the music feels right, man, when the, when the hook feels right and when it just plays back through the speakers, right, man, that's that euphoria that I feel. And that's why I know that I'm doing what I should be doing because I understand it, that that's what it's about. That when the fucking hook of one of these songs comes back that I connect with so much, I'm like, fuck. That's beautiful. And I know you'll never lose that. And that's what keeps people coming back to you because you genuinely care. That's awesome. Dude. Well, thank you so much for this. This has been this has been uh, really enjoyable, and it's been really fun getting to uh, to learn this whole this whole trek with you, this whole story. So, thank you for doing this with me. It was really cool, man. It was yeah, I've, I've said some stuff that I, I don't think I've said out loud in fucking some of the things ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I wish I. I wish I could have better articulated, you know, one day I've articulated some, some of my thoughts of, of, of uh, my younger life, you know what I mean, uh, better. But this helps me kind of, kind of helps, helps me kind of catapult that, you know what I mean, to get those thoughts better articulated in my brain. Because it really, uh, this, this really helped me kind of draw up some, some emotions, man, about some of the shit that, that you know, a, lo- a lot of us went through when we were younger, you know. So it's, it's, I'm grateful. Thank you, man. Thank you. Absolutely. You're the best. Hey. And uh, I'm going to end this recording in five, four, three, two, one. Bye, buddy. Well, there it is. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with your friends, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page to help the show just kind of get more visible to other listeners. Uh, This is a new project, as I mentioned, so I'm really grateful to be able to share these conversations going forward. So anything you can do to help spread the word is a huge, huge help. Uh, Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.